Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. For the first time in its history, Silverstone hosted a second Formula One World Championship race in one season, but it was a very different result to what we saw in the British Grand Prix a week ago at the same venue. In a pretty stunning turnaround, Max Verstappen and Red Bull exploited their stronger strategy on a day where the softer Pirelli tyres and hot track temperatures combined to give Mercedes its first defeat of the 2020 season. The key to Verstappen's win was his starting tyre, the hard with which he was the only driver to get through Q2. The harder rubber, compared to the mediums on the two Mercedes cars at the start, meant Verstappen was able to reel in and pressure the two early leaders, after Bottas had led away from pole position. Verstappen maintained his pace advantage after the Mercedes cars pitted, and although he came out just behind Bottas after his first stint, he had nevertheless passed Hamilton and was on fresh rubber. Verstappen used that to immediately attack and pass Bottas, and when they came in together for their second and final stops, he maintained the net lead. Hamilton tried to stretch his second stint into a one-stopper, but heavy blistering on his rear tyres and concerns about a possible repeat late puncture, as Hamilton had had last weekend, meant he abandoned that attempt. He used his fresh tyres to pass the superb one-stopping Charles Leclerc, and he then charged up to Bottas and deprived his teammate of second as Verstappen ran clear to take a famous win. Leclerc was largely unseen on his rise from 8th to 4th, which he described as like a victory, while Alex Albon put in a series of bold passes to climb from his P9 grid spot to 5th at the flag. Lance Stroll led home Nico Hülkenberg, who dropped down to 7th with an extra 3rd stop as he encountered big vibrations from his tyres late on in the race on his Formula 1 race return. And in the other Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel spun all by himself at the start, but came back to 11th, still frustrated by Ferrari's strategy calls, and Daniel Ricciardo in the Renault had a similar off with what he called a Seb spin. So joining Luke Smith and I, we're back from the track and at our hotel in nearby Toaster, a Motorsport Network's Director of Digital Strategy, Jess McFadden, and Autosport's Technical Editor, Jake Boxall-Legg. So guys, 
what do we make of the race Jake you were on Autosport Live Duty as ever Captain Live I like to call you which is I know is a nickname you particularly enjoy what did you make of the race today it was a good race wasn't it uh, had a lot to talk about so nice to see someone other than a Mercedes win for once um you know at the start of the year after the first three races we were like oh my god is this is this ever going to end but Max Verstappen put in the absolute driver's life today uh stunning race as well um goes to show what a softer level of tyre can do as well phenomenal race um Jess did you see a Max Verstappen victory happening before the start today I don't think anybody really expected anybody other than a Mercedes to take a one or two in any of the races this season, uh, let alone today's race. But if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be Max Verstappen and it was going to be Red Bull on an alternate tyre strategy. We were robbed of seeing how that was going to play out a couple of races ago um, for different reasons. But we got to see it play out this today and play out it did and we got to see a chink in Mercedes armour, which I think for everybody at home watching is what we really want to see. And it's it's really spiced the championship up now. Max has jumped up to second place in the driver's standings. Leapfrog fell through Bottas. And all of a sudden, we've got a bit of a fight on our hands. Absolutely. Again, it makes you wonder what could have been possible in the Austrian Grand Prix, the season opener, as you're referencing there, Jess. It certainly, it backs up Red Bull. Red Bull really felt that that was a missed opportunity for, for Verstappen. The fact that he was starting on a, a contra-tyre strategy. Interesting, though, that I think the real key difference today was the softer step, the Pirelli compounds. Mercedes really just struggled with that today. It was a combination of that, the fact that Silverstone, as Jake, as you wrote in your place for autosport.com uh, after the British Grand Prix, is such a high energy track and that gives the tyres such a hard time. The Mercedes W11 is so brilliant. It has so much downforce. It can take that corner, those corners so much faster than everybody else. That's ultimately what did for them when they were pushed by Verstappen. It was obvious from actually quite early in the race that Mercedes were in trouble. We were saying as we were leaving the track, oh, first few laps, they've gone clear. And then suddenly, no, hang on a second, Verstappen's back in the game. Yeah, it was very impressive how Red Bull were, were on it so quickly. And uh, obviously the key for Verstappen was passing Nico Hülkenberg. He made a great start straight up the inside into Abbey. So that that was that done. And then, yeah, he was sort of about three seconds back or so for, from Mercedes. And I think that was really the, the decisive point in the race. Like if Mercedes were able to build the gap and make a, a, enough of an advantage with the medium tyre, then Verstappen would have been in trouble. But actually he was able to keep the gap stable, I think no more than about three and a half seconds. And then actually make inroads on both Mercedes drivers uh, very very uh, very quick to catch up to Lewis Hamilton um, sort of had a, a couple of looks up the inside but was never really close enough to attempt to pass but close enough to put pressure on and that it meant by the time that both Mercedes are coming to the pits I mean Verstappen was easily into the lead and, and a long way clear and uh, yeah I think that was really sort of the, the where the race was won and uh, we heard him over team radio that Red Bull said to him, look, hold back a little bit. Remember how long you got to make these tyres last? And uh, he said, oh, I'm not here to drive like a grandma. Like, I need to be able to push. Like, we've got an opportunity here. Let's really sort of get on with it and attack the Mercs. And uh, that's exactly what he did. Like, this was the one chance they've had really all, all season to actually take the fight to Mercedes. And he took full advantage of that and took an excellent race victory. He did indeed. And it was really interesting to hear that radio message in the first stint because Christian Horner explained afterwards that Red Bull knew exactly what they were going to do with the Q2 hard tyre strategy. It was like, yep, we don't have any other choice to really take the fight to Mercedes. We've got to do something different. So they did it. But there was a little bit of concern. You could hear that in the in the race engineer to Max Verstappen, his message being like, you know, you're getting a bit too close. Think about the tyres because Red Bull were like, we may be slightly worried he's just going to, you know, give away what advantage he's got already on track, which is when Mercedes pit and he's in clear, clear air, that's the time to really go fast. Verstappen having absolutely none of it. So, uh, so Jess, what did you make of that radio call? And what does that show us about Max Verstappen and his temperament and his, and his just desire to have a, a good battle and, and, you know, try and do things on track? 
God bless Max Verstappen. I think you've just got to you've got to say that, haven't you? Because he, one of the main criticisms or one of the criticisms that we've got of Formula One at the moment is that it's too data driven. It's too much. It's it's one on the pit wall. It's one on overlays, and it's one on just finding those last seconds of of time uh, over your competitors but based on a simulation not on what a driver feels so max kicking back at his engineer and saying do you know what guys screw what the data is telling you screw what the tire temperature set are saying if i don't chase i'm going to lose these marks and we're going to lose the race it's just great to hear a driver having that strength of character and and, and going based on what he feels like obviously it was very early in the race that he was saying this so you know maybe we wouldn't be saying the same thing had his tires exploded and he was out of the race but that didn't happen uh, he managed it brilliantly he played the perfect game and we got some fight and feistiness uh, in the mix as well so for me it was I, I I think I punched the air when I heard him say that and it was just like good on you Max go on go for it we want some racing we want some real racing we want somebody to take it to the Mercs because the last thing that we wanted was to watch the Mercs fly up the road see you later races in hand another one like last weekend where the, the fact that Hamilton won on three tyres and had the gap comfortable enough to cross the line with time to spare, even though Max did chase him down. We just that's just not what we want to see. So yeah, good on him. I, I I really, really applaud it. And and it's the kind of attitude that we need to see more of in Formula One, I think. Indeed. And what was really interesting was that as you say, Jess, about you know, about the British Grand Prix victory, there are still remain question marks about whether Red Bull made the right decision to pit Verstappen so late in the race and how that ultimately did cost them the win, but they weren't to know what was going to happen with Hamilton's tire at the time. This time this time round, however, they played the perfect strategy call. The Q two call was absolutely decisive. I think it's a bit of a horn almost implies Verstappen had to be a little bit talked into doing it. He had to buy into doing it, he said, but he did and he, he made he made best use of it. But then the short stint in the middle, as you were saying, you know, they, they effectively unleashed him at this point because we had another radio message which was right give it everything from the tire and Max was like what I'll fully send it and it's just like yeah go for it see see, see how far you can get and by that point they they made Mercedes make a potential strategic error here there now Toto Wolff is 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 convinced that you know whatever they did there was no winning the race in Verstappen because they pit at the same time for hard tires but they knew that they were going to lose that race because of the pace that Verstappen had 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 all throughout both you know both st- uh, both stints on the on the hards at the start and then the mediums. But by taking Bottas in at the same time, they effectively ended the chance for him to beat Verstappen. Had they kept him out, as they ultimately ended up doing with Lewis Hamilton, that was the chance. I mean, obviously we know it wouldn't have come off, but it was never less a chance. And you can understand why Bottas was a bit annoyed. But Toto Wolff's point of view is the fact that they took the tyres off Bottas's car and found there was actually still rubber left on them, and that's what they. Like right, okay, we probably probably not going to work, but we'll give it a go with with Lewis, and we you know we see if we can keep it out. He was saying, you know, I'm going to try and and go do a one stopper, you know, see if he see if he could eke it out. But ultimately, he was worried the tires might blow up, so that's why it sort of all came to nothing. Um, and then in the end, that's what does for Valtteri Bottas because Hamilton has a tire advantage. But Jake, coming to you, what what was it? Because I mean just on those tyres what was it that Mercedes would have seen because if you looked at it just on the TV camera you know on both Mercedes cars it looked like the tyres were completely gone and it was almost a wonder that that something worse didn't happen to Hamilton's tyres as he carried on so yeah what was what was going on with the rubber please well, it, was a, it was a strange one as everybody saw there was that big belt of, uh, of, of blistering on the tyre but these teams have got hugely sophisticated sensors on the car. They can see tyre temperatures and things like that. Back at the factory as well, they've got all of these tyre models as well, which is how they try and predict 
how the tire is going to work over a race and the simulations. And if it's sort of performing according to those, you know, manufacturer instructions, if you like, then there's not really much of a cause for concern. Um, it's when you suddenly get that pressure drop, that's when you need to start to panic a little bit. But then again, that happens very, very suddenly. So you, you don't really know. Towards the end of the race, I think Hamilton did quite a long stint on those, uh, those tyres that looked really angry. Uh, and I was like, he's got to bring that in soon, surely. And he kept going, he kept going. And he didn't seem to, in fact, he was getting faster. I was looking at his times as I was doing live just to keep the people informed, give the people what they want. And he was, he was going quicker. So there was still life I mean, in it. Jake, you, you say give people what they want, but I read a complaint to the Autosport news desk about one of your jokes. Um, would you like to share that with the listeners of the Autosport podcast? And we'll see if we can get complaints to this one, maybe. With a joke? Yeah, do, do the joke, Okay, Okay, so a bear walks into a bar and the barman says, what would you like? And the bear says, could I get a whiskey and a beer? And the barman says, why the big paws? And the bear says, I was born with them. That is the exact reaction that joke deserved, Jake. I mean, I know I set you up for that. I think I preferred the uh, the joke that you put on today about uh, the music interests one. Oh, yeah. Okay. I missed that one. Oh, that was... Uh... Okay, th- there's a reason why we don't follow Autosport Live <laughs> in the media centre. No, I'm joking. We do, we do, we do. <laughs> I do, Jake. As, 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 as do a lot of other people, live. interestingly, noticing, noticing looking I'm, around the media centre. I'm telling centre. that second joke before I hand back over to you. Uh, there are two windmills in a field and one says to the other, what kind of music do you like? And the other one's says i'm a big metal fan actually not bad i quite like that one i quite like that one every now and then your jokes i start off in thinking i'm gonna hate them and then actually i have a little chuckle i hated it no more than that (laughs) but there we go there we go well yes um let's get back to to the 70th anniversary grand prix which i still think is a very strange name i didn't did anybody hear the 70th national anthem at the start of the race you can hear anything from from where it was the british national anthem was it yeah we wanted this sort of like f1 theme tune uh maybe on the flute which is a, a very hilarious youtube clip but unfortunately not uh, interesting, it was very interesting at the end of the race, again, just to listen to Verstappen's radio messages. He was having yet another joke with his engineer. I mean, th- this guy's just got, you know, Luke, he's just got he's just got brain space. Yeah, very, very, uh, very cheeky from Verstappen. We saw him uh, at the last race uh, when he was sort of running third and pretty much on, marooned on his own. And uh, he, he radioed his engineer and he was like, oh, I, have you had a drink? Like, make sure he's staying hydrated. And his engineer was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then today, like, I think it, the radio message came through on the last lap. So it probably would have been the, the penultimate lap of the race. But uh, he went to his engineer and he was like, oh, have you been staying hydrated? Like, I can imagine you're quite sweaty. Uh, make sure you sanitize your hands and things like that and it's just uh that just so shows sort of how calm and how in control max Verstappen was right the way through that race and uh we saw a couple of times that even when hamilton was eking out that that stint and they said look pick up your pace now we need you to find more time just to cover off hamilton in case he does a one stop max was able to do that immediately like reacted immediately put the hammer down pulled the pin and Mercedes basically went that there's no way we're going to hold on brought and brought Hamilton in straight away and uh, yeah I mean he was just that sort of calm and that in control and it's amazing for a young man of, of, of what 22 years old I think um, to be that sort of chilled out and about to win a Grand Prix and basically cause a huge surprise in beating both those Mercedes and yet just be like yeah, I just want to check in on my engineer and be a good guy and make sure that he's uh, having the drink Let's go to a driver who wasn't very happy come the end of the race and that's Valtteri Bottas said uh, immediately after stepping out of the 
car. He said that uh, Mercedes was sleeping when it came to the battle with Max Verstappen. Toto Wolff did sort of address that. It was like, I understand why Valtteri was annoyed by by the strategy and how things uh, how things turned out. But he says, you know, we're all annoyed. Mercedes never takes defeat very well. Let's face it. Although interesting, that's two for two for people turning up in the paddock dressed in 1950s uh, outfits and Mercedes losing a race, which is interesting. Although they weren't the ones doing that. Uh, that was a, a broadcaster, I believe, that was was doing that ahead of this race. Um, but yet, yeah, Jess, coming to coming to you, Valtteri Bottas. I mean. What did you make of his reaction to defeat? I mean, no driver likes to lose, but uh, it was interesting that, you know, because considering one of the reasons why he's been kept on at Mercedes is because he doesn't rock the boat, was just to hear him come out with a with a comment, you know, slightly criticising the team there. Well, as you said, I think no driver likes to start a race from pole and end up third. It's just not where they expect to be. And as the lead driver, they expect to be given the optimal strategy. Uh, and it, Bottas made it very clear that he was given the suboptimal strategy uh, for this race. But it's it was it was a race where clearly Mercedes were feeling the heat, literally, and they they were reacting to what they were seeing in the data, as we've touched on before. And and they were probably a bit nervous after what happened last weekend. The compounds were softer this weekend of those Pirelli tires. They were suffering different problems, as we've already kind of touched on um and i don't want to go as far as saying that that valtteri was the guinea pig but as again as you said they brought him in to see well first off to cover off uh verstappen because they were on different strategies but if they brought lewis in then valtteri would probably be on the radio going why have you brought him in and not me because they were both struggling on those mediums to kick start it was a pain period of the race um so they had to do something so whilst it didn't play out for for valtteri it's you know, I don't know if there was any other, there was the, the reason why I think Lewis was in the position he was in was because he did a longer stint on the hards. So, you know, they weren't to know that. Um, and so unfortunately the luck swung the way of his teammate and not the way of the Finns. And yeah, there was, there was, of course he was going to be upset about that. So I'm not surprised, you know, on reflection, there probably wasn't any other uh, way that that was going to play out. And just just going back to Hamilton's, you know, long stint on the hards and, and just generally, you know, the time management through the whole race, both Mercedes drivers were, you know, I asked them about that in the press conference. They were like, yeah, we were even from the off, we were we were managing quite early on, you know, they, they were pushing as hard as they could, but they just knew almost immediately that they were they were in trouble in terms of having to manage the tyres, particularly in those high speed corners. But it was really interesting, Luke, I thought to hear Lewis Hamilton say, you know, it's, it's rare for me to be this bad with tyre degradation because tyre management for all Lewis Hamilton's amazing skills over one lap, his pace, his you know his wet weather, his wet weather skills. It's his tyre management that's been so crucial to him winning six world titles with you know the current era of Formula One cars. So yeah, what you know, what did you make of, of what happened to him today? Because he really seemed to have no explanation. And also, it was interesting to hear him also say that he couldn't stay with Bottas in the first stint in the early laps. Yeah, he really did struggle, and he said that the sort of the rise. In the tyre pressures which uh, Pirelli did for this weekend in response to the, the failures last weekend and he said the the tyres felt like balloons through the race which I thought was a very very good way to explain it and uh, at one point he sort of asked like oh that basically inferring that Verstappen might be running slightly lower tyre pressures than the Mercedes might be because he was just that good at managing his tyres and sort of keeping everything under control but it was a real real problem for Mercedes today and yeah I mean Hamilton struggled with 
big blistering uh, through right away through the race and uh, even sort of through his uh, second stint. I mean, Mercedes had to keep talking to him saying, look, you will get through this uh, blistering phase. The tyres will improve again. And obviously they did towards the end of the stint, but that was never going to be enough to, to either get to the end or to beat Verstappen. So, uh, yeah, very, very difficult race. And I think that really sort of summed up, um, as Jess said, like it's, it's a chink in Mercedes' armour that ultimately when the conditions get hot, when the tyre pressures have to run a little bit higher, when the tyres are a step softer, that sort of all combined together to really make things difficult for, for Mercedes and for, and for Lewis Hamilton, who, as you say, like he he's a, an incredible driver over one lap, but his race management and his tyre management is also such a huge strength of his. And uh, that just that just wasn't there today. Like He really did struggle with it. And uh, yeah, very, very interesting to see him be so sort of chipper about getting a, a second place finish as well, because normally that would be, as we saw after qualifying yesterday, he was sort of a bit, a bit sulky that he hadn't got pole. Um, and you'd think being beaten by Red Bull like that would be like, oh it's been a disaster but actually he was quite upbeat about things and said you know what like Red Bull were just quick today we didn't manage our tyres well enough and uh, yeah seemed actually quite surprisingly content with the result yeah I quite like that because Lewis often says things like you know when he's put in a dominant drive he's like oh I wish we could have a fight with Verstappen and the Red Bull and Leclerc and the Ferrari and you think really Lewis really you really want that but you know he seemed he seemed he seemed genuinely genuinely pleased to have had some competition at the front and ultimately even though that ended up in defeat for Mercedes um Jake I wanted to ask you about that radio message that Luke mentioned where uh, Lewis Hamilton it was you could understand why people because it certainly flashed across my mind just if you listen to the tone of his message and what he's saying about the you know that they must be doing something they must have less tyre pressures than us or lower tyre pressures than us you you can understand why that would sound sort of accusatory but actually Hamilton gave a very good explanation in the press conference whereas basically he was like no I wasn't like I wasn't having a go at them it was just the fact that we all start on the same minimum but the way the tyres work in the race because just the way the, the cars are set up and the way they operate the tyres go up and that's what Mercedes ultimately really struggled with whereas Red Bull apparently didn't so yeah could you just explain that um, for, for me first of all because you're a much cleverer man than I am and also for the listeners, what, what Lewis was getting at there. Every time the tyre gets hotter, the pressure inside goes up because um, the air particles inside have more energy, they move around more, um, and they're bouncing off the walls of the tyres more. Um, that's it, yeah, explaining it like like you were five. Basically, that sort of seems to be a suggestion that Red Bull is able to keep the tyres in a, a much sort of cooler state than the Mercedes is able to. And as you explained at the top of the show, um, quite accurately, that... Um, Mercedes has more downforce um, than the Red Bull. The Red Bull is is running a little bit of a skinny rear wing in comparison to Mercedes this weekend. Um, and so obviously that's going to put a little bit less load through the tyre. And, you know, sure, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of pace in the slower speed corners and maybe in the higher speed corners when you sort of need to cling on for dear life a little bit more. But you are on the straights putting a lot less load through those tyres and you're keeping them much, much cooler, keeping them in the better window than Mercedes was doing. Um, and yeah, that's just helping to keep the pressure down. And so by keeping that pressure down, crucially, you're able to generate more grip in the tyre um, because you know it, the tyre is flatter and therefore it's got more surface area on the road and therefore you're able to yeah simply have more tire grip available to you so i think that's what hamilton was coming on uh coming from um which which kind of makes sense i guess given the cut and thrust of the race so would you sort of agree with what toto wolf was hinting at was the fact that the w11 is so good the combination of the soft tires and the high energy at Silverstone actually, you know, is, is a great, is an easy PR win for Mercedes. But is, you know, is it is is actually looks pretty. It looks pretty uh, true on the face of it. What did you make of those comments? Yeah, well, yeah, I think 
he's absolutely right. The Mercedes is so good that it's not good in a high high temperature situation. But no, he, he's absolutely right. That Mercedes has got so much downforce bolted onto it, um, way more than anybody else on that grid has got. Um, and so you can kind of see the reasoning for it. Let's come on to Charles Leclerc. Now, Jess, you and I do, uh, we do the driver ratings as well. I, I do it for the Autosport magazine and we, we film it for YouTube. We have a chat and a debate about this. I'm actually going to give away, I'm not going to give away the final driver rating for Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, but I can tell everybody now, the listeners of the Autosport podcast and the three of you on this on this call, that Charles Leclerc is the only candidate for a 10, but I haven't made it up my mind yet. But there we go. Yes. What did you make of his drive? Because we didn't actually see a lot of it. On the right on the TV today. I mean, he often has a very lonely race, doesn't he? Um, he kind of slots into a little Ferrari Charles Leclerc bubble and toots along for a pretty uneventful Sunday drive. Um, but I mean, he still he blows my mind every time I look at the standings. I'm like, how on earth has he come fourth? Oh, you know, last weekend, thanks to Valtteri Bottas's tire exploding, came third. He just seems to pull these consistent drives out of nowhere. And the fact that he did 34 laps on the hards in his final stint is just like, what? (laughs) How? How? When everybody else is looking really uncomfortable, they're not really having a good time. And I mean, on the TV coverage, which is what I watched, um, I don't have the timing screens or any of the fun stuff that you guys get in the in the media center you didn't get to see a lot of Charles Leclerc but he just seemed to have a really easy in inverted commas time of it he's Mr. Consistent he just seems to be able to pull result after result that that Ferrari should not be delivering based on what we know about it um and the fact that his teammate just seems to be having a sordid time of it only seeks to amplify his performance in comparison um so it was just an absolutely another just really class drive from Charles Leclerc didn't put a foot wrong and I think I would have to agree with you tomorrow when we have the uh the old duke out over the uh driver rankings um that he probably is the only candidate for a 10 out of 10 drive even if it was as we said, a rather uneventful one. It was interesting after the race to hear him describe coming fourth as like a victory when he also described coming second in the Austrian Grand Prix as like a victory and as one of the wags on the joint autosport, motorsport.com news desk observed, he's, uh, he's, he's suddenly uh, underselling himself and you know he's, 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 accepting, he's accepting a lower position as, as like a victory. But there we go. That was, uh, that was interesting to hear. Um, Jake, coming to you again, I thought we weren't going to see one-stop strategies at this race. How on earth did Ferrari do that? I'm still trying to work that out myself. Um, thanks to your wonderful good content thanks to your wonderful suggestion of doing something on the tyres for a tech review for the second week in a row I have former autosport.com plus editor you know (laughs) not just not just a hat rack my friend there we go sorry sorry carry on carry on I don't know how to respond to that just ignore it yeah as I usually do guys you're digging a hole now let's This is disturbingly like what it's normally like in the office before coronavirus. But yeah, sorry, Jake. One-stop strategy for Ferrari. How did they do it? I'm still trying to work that out myself. It, it, it seemed impossible. Uh, but both he managed to do it. Esteban Ocon, who I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit, managed to do it as well. Um, that Ferrari has many, many flaws, but tyre wear doesn't really seem to be one of them at the moment. Um, it's just about extending that medium stint out. And then with the hard tyre, you can kind of more or more, more or less get it to 30 to 35 laps in that window it's all about i think what you do on that medium and given that was the soft tire last weekend 
you'd sort of think, okay, right, they want to bin that off as soon as possible. Verstappen did seven laps on it. So for Leclerc to manage that as well, that was quite a feat. Again, I still don't know how much to do it. It's just that I think we're just going to have to put it down as either an anomaly or just some kind of freak in nature or something. I don't even know. Well, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, you, you look at Leclerc only a few races ago in Hungary where he was having all sorts of tri- trouble with the with the soft tyre, which was the, the medium for this event. So is it just another case of Ferrari just, just doesn't know how to get on top of that package, even though it came out brilliantly in this race? What, what do you think about that, Jake? If I knew the answer to that, I think Ferrari would be knocking on my door tomorrow and going, can you help us out, please? <laughs> Typical. Always after, always looking for another job on this podcast. You're outrageous. Well, anyway, let's move on to the other Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel, Luke. I mean, I, I, honestly, when I read those Daniel Ricciardo quotes at the end of the race where he described his own spin while he was uh, coming up against Carlos Sainz Jr. as a Seb spin, I mean, that's so damning to his former teammate, Sebastian Vettel. But he did it. He did it again all by himself at the start of the race. He follows, uh, as you get a good start off the line, um, Sebastian Vettel, but he, he comes up behind his teammate, gets on the curbs just as Leclerc's locked up a little bit ahead of him. Thinks he gets a bit of wheel spin on the curb, just catches the curb and around it goes. And frankly, he is lucky, very, very lucky not to wipe out Carlos Sainz Jr. on the left. But again, Sebastian Vettel, I mean, I know he's he's not very happy. He's leaving Ferrari. You can tell there's a lot of feeling going on there and not good ones as well. But it's just another massive error for, for Vettel. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the old uh, Spinella uh, meme that obviously goes around. I think pretty much on a regular basis now because of uh, because of these mistakes. And yeah, it was just it was just poor. Like you don't expect that from a four time world champion. Um, to make such a basic error at the start of a race, uh, obviously you start in mid pack and like you want to be you want to try and make some moves up the order. And he actually got a pretty decent getaway from from his grid slot, so I think could have put himself on the fringes of the points. And we know that he's struggling with a real lack of confidence with that Ferrari SF1000 car. We saw that last weekend at Silverstone where he only scored points because of the late tire failures. And uh, yeah, then to make such a basic error on the opening lap of the race and fritter away really any chance of scoring any points. I mean, it was just it's just so basic and it's not it is not good enough for a Ferrari driver let alone the man who's won four world titles and has been supposedly supposedly their leader for so long and uh after the race like he had a big rant about the strategy like we heard him over team radio saying oh you you guys know you've done this wrong because ferrari basically gone against what they said they would do pre-race and he was pretty upset about that he came home 12th in the end and like it was he, he basically pinned that on the strategy and said that he didn't understand it, he didn't understand why they did such a short, short middle stint on the hard tyre. And uh, Mattia Bonotto said after the race, he said, look, he said, Sebastian's still got faith in us, like, don't read too much into the radio messages. But the biggest thing that killed Vettel's race was not the strategy, it was the spin. Like, it was that mistake at turn one that drops him all the way down to last place that meant he twice in the race had to try and pass uh, Kimi Raikkonen and his former teammate in the Alfa Romeo. It meant that he was pitted basically to move him out of the way for Leclerc, who by the time he pitted was out right behind Vettel because Vettel was so far behind. It, it's just it's just not good enough. Like it's really really poor. And I know that Vettel is not happy, and I know that he is on his way out of Ferrari. But to have a quarter of your teammate points at this point of the season. And for Leclerc to be week in, week out, really outstripping the performance of that Ferrari car, scoring podiums with a bit of luck or finishing fourth with an excellent strategy as he did today, and then for you to be bimbling around outside the points and spinning at turn one, it's it's rubbish, really. Bimbling, that's an, that's an excellent word. Thank there, you. I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed that one. Um, Jess, what did, what did you think when you saw Vettel just lose it at the start? Because like, I actually thought it was pretty bold of him to come on the radio later in the race and have a go at Ferrari when the, the most outrageous error of the race was, was him at the start. 
I guess the sad thing is, is like, um, we're not unused to hearing, oh, who spun? Oh, it was Vettel on the first lap. It, it, it's just something, it's, it's almost becoming a bit of a signature move, as Luke was suggesting with the Spinala memes. Uh, the Twitter goes crazy every time he does a spin because, because of those memes. But it just, uh, these guys are superheroes. But even I think that it would be next to impossible to continue in a team that is the current situation that Ferrari finds it in and to have been unceremoniously booted out of your seat for apparent no apparent reason and without even having a conversation so it's a psychological thing it's 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 a performance thing but you know it's not uncommon it's it's something that we've come to expect from Vettel which is just madness because he is a four-time world champion the annoying thing was is that he actually made his way back up the pack fairly quickly um and it was kind of a case of well if he'd have done that without spinning how far would he have would he have got like what would his recovery drive have looked like in the end he finished where he started um so i guess in that respect bit of a kind of all right you did what you did had to do but as we were talking about with charlotte clerk when your teammates finishing fourth and you only have as you as luke said you know a quarter of the points that your teammate has it's just not on is it it's just it's kind of just it's making ferrari look like they've made the right decision um but also, I think I think I I just I don't know if I can lay all the blame at, at Seb's door, which is why I'm thinking his radio message was actually quite telling of the situation that's going on internally at Ferrari, in that it's not working in his favour, and it, and the, and the team is not set up to deliver him the 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 points, even though Ferrari obviously want to maximise on points as a constructor. It's just it's it's a Charles Leclerc team, and and I think that is is case in point with what we saw today. Indeed, it was interesting to hear Bonotto say after the race that they will look at, you know, maybe changing Vettel's chassis just in case there is some sort of un, un, so far undiscovered car issue at play. But just what you were saying there, you know, about the fact that, you know, yeah, great, you came back through the field, Sebastian, but if you had to make the mistake at the start, you know, that's ultimately what, what undid your race there. That brings us on nicely to the other Red Bull, Alex Albon, who was, at a great, again, another great Sunday, another great drive, produced some fantastic passes at Cops especially. And yet his teammate won the race in the same car. Albon started ninth and that's you know and he, he has to do all that recovery hard work in fact Christian Horner said this and I've only read this transcript so I haven't actually heard the way he said it but it almost seemed unironically that he was saying you know imagine if Alex had started fourth or fifth where he could have finished well yeah that, that's the nail on the head that's the problem there the fact that he was so far down the order again underwhelming in qualifying when Verstappen's uh, delivering absolute heroics that's that's a real problem for Albon even though it was a very very good race driver there's no taking away from that um, Jake what did you make of Albon's attacks particularly at Cops? Yeah phenomenal weren't they? Um, the one on Raikkonen was Ra- Raikkonen was incredibly robust in that move um, Do you think he was channeling his fury at his Alfa Romeo engineer last weekend into trying to edge Alex Albon off the track? I think he was probably channeling his fury into how terrible the Alfa Romeo is at the moment. Um, Albon came around the outside and Raikkonen kind of pushed him off at Wooker. Um, And he managed to keep it sort of planted. Um, uh, He he was worried that Raikkonen hadn't seen him. And so he went around the outside of the cops, only just had enough room to do it just a sort of hair's breadth of room on track to do it. Um, one foot on the curb and it, he was through. Uh, and I think that sort of gave him a little bit of what was to come with his next two moves. Uh, the one with Gasly, that was very well done because they were really battling hard for, for position. Um, and he caught up at Brooklands. 
perhaps sort of thought about having Gerland on the outside and he was like oh actually no I think I can get him at Luffield so he again kept it planted around the outside and that was that that was done um he said that Gasly was the most difficult move which you know suggests that Raikkonen was really easy um but because he'd done that he then come up came up to Lando Norris a little bit later in the race carbon copy of the Gasly move job done and then there was another move with Ocon where you know he had DRS toad, he just went around the outside and stowed. It was pretty conclusive from there on in. I know Alex Albon can qualify. I watched his F2 season in 2018 with keen interest as a empl- former employee of the series. And he, I think he was the first ever driver in the series to bag three pole positions in a row. Absolutely phenomenal qualifier in F2. Because he still did it last year. And I don't know where the poly pace has gone. Um, I don't know if it's a psychological thing. I don't know if that Red Bull is particularly difficult in in qualifying trim when you're really trying to hustle the last out of it. But I know he's got that performance in him. It's just a case of him being able to extract it from the car and the team being able to extract it from him. Because as we've seen the last few days, he's a phenomenal race driver. Absolutely. And it's interesting to, to think 12 months on back to when Pierre Gasly was at Red Bull, because I wrote a feature for autosport.com about Gasly ahead of the weekend, because he's been one of the stars of the season. And actually, it's interesting watching his race today. Not actually that bad. Yeah, he went back backwards from seventh and ends up outside the points. But it's interesting. AlphaTauri actually pitted him to cover off Albon's very, very early stop. And that ultimately just destroyed his race. You know, he was he, he was never going to really hold that Red Bull behind. So it's really strange that AlphaTauri really covered them as aggressively as they did. Um, yeah, I mean, he was very much harder on his tyres. Daniel Kvyat, his teammate, gets ahead, nips in into 10th place, gets the last point. But he had the advantage, actually, because he was outside the top 10 of starting on the hard. He did, did exactly what uh, Verstappen did, took that option and, and really nailed it. But it's interesting, um, Jess, going to come, come to you. It seems that Albon has the support of the team in the way Gasly really didn't at this point in the calendar year last year. Okay, so it's slightly different because, you know, we're only a few races into the season, even though we're at the same point in the year because of the coronavirus delay. But... I just you just get the sense that Horner and Marco maybe just like the fact that he's really showing fight in the races because that was also what sort of did for Gasly really was that he was back off Verstappen and just didn't really show you know time and time again that he could he could deliver and make up for it. Is that coupled with from well from what I've heard and maybe you guys have heard differently but it's it's the commitment that he's showing in trying to get it to work. It's the feedback he's giving his engineers. It's the way that he's really, really trying to work out what it is. Whereas from what I've heard, you know, Gasly was, was a bit, uh, didn't really know what to tell the engineers to help him. He, he kind of struggled on that side of things. And that, that comes with, we have very different drivers driving in the, and their styles are very different. So I think maybe that has something to do with it. The fact that he's so, so invested in trying to give information back will help the Red Bull team improve the RB16, which I think um, was described today as, as a moody car. Um, it's got a bit of a, it ha- has a bit of a mood swing now and again. It's quite like unrelenting. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. And uh... <laughs> well, I'm, also, I'm also unrelenting and committed to the Autosport court. So let's, let's, let's go for that and carry on. So yes. <laughs> Your commitment has never been questioned, Alex. So there you go. Um, but I think that probably has a little bit to do with it. But also, you know, where else will a Red Bull going to go? You know, they've they've kind of exhausted their um, what used to be a glut of drivers uh, waiting in the wings to come and drive the horns off that Red Bull. But 
they don't have that anymore and they can't I don't think they can do an Uno reverse with Gasly and put him back in the Red Bull because they've been there done that and and they've seen it doesn't work and even though Gasly is you know he's starting to become for me and I think I think we spoke about it before Alex kind of the out and out driver of the season so far in terms of what he's being able to do in that Alpha Tauri you know, they, they're just it's just not going to happen they're not they're not going to do that even just from a I guess a PR perspective and you know Helmut Marco I don't think Helmut Marco really gives a crap about what the press says about him uh, other than for legal reasons um, <laughs> as we saw maybe a little bit earlier in the in the season um, but you know they, he doesn't give a, he doesn't give a toss he'll he'll swap drivers in and out as as long as he can but the point is they don't have anybody so they have to invest in Albon they don't really have a choice um and hopefully we're going to see the fruits of that moving forward but yeah they've got to sort out Albon today said that on a Sunday that car is just completely different it's actually quite nice to drive they just need to sort out their Saturday car. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast by talking about racing point. But just quickly before we do that, um, Esteban Ocon, uh, other points finisher, um, also made the one stopper work very very well for Renault. Um, Daniel Ricciardo struggled on the tyres, had that spin as I said against Carlos Sainz Jr. The Seb spin as he called it, and that's what it did for him, which was a shame because he had a really 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 good qualifying for Ricciardo. Uh, also, Kimi Raikkonen made a one stop work as well, moved up from the back of the grid. So uh, you know, obviously obviously things not quite as bad with the Alfa Romeo as Jake you alluded to earlier, um, but. Luke, coming coming to racing point, before we get into the sort of the, the nitty gritty of the races for Nico Hulkenberg and Lance Stroll, let's carry on what, what Jess was what Jess was saying about Red Bull. You know, they can't they can't promote anybody from within. What about taking someone from the outside and that someone being Nico Hulkenberg? It would make a lot of sense. Like uh, after Hulkenberg's brilliant playing qualifying yesterday, a lot of drivers were sort of saying like, "Oh, this really sort of proves what we can do." And Max Verstappen was the man sort of leading that call. Like he said that he said that Hulkenberg is one of the top ten drivers in Formula One. There's loads of drivers on the grid who don't deserve to be here, but Hulkenberg does, and that that kind of result that did prove it. And I think uh, I think the question was put to him in one of the foreign language media sessions about, "Oh, well, what if Hulkenberg were to be your teammate?" And he he kind of battered it away, but it's. Ultimately, if Red Bull, and I, I, I highly doubt they would ever sort of buck the trend and go for someone outside their own talent pool because they've not done that in 15 years. So I, I can't see it happening. But if they wanted to do that and if they were to think, well, look, we want we want to actually fight Mercedes for the Constructors' Championship. We don't want just one car bringing home the majority of our points. We want two fairly well-matched cars. Then Hulkenberg, yeah, it would be a perfect sort of um, perfect candidate, I think, for that seat because he's proven what he can do. He's literally, after no testing, after very minimal running in that racing point car, managed to this weekend outclass Lance Stroll completely and prove that yeah, he is like he's one of the best operators in Formula One, even when he's not been in Formula One for the past sort of like nine months or so. So uh, yeah, huge credit must go his way for his performances weekend, and I think it's uh, whether it's Red Bull or otherwise, I think it really puts him on the radar for a seat for next year could you imagine though but to be a fly on the wall in Fernando Alonso's apartment if Red Bull were to ever ever do the the thing they've never done before and go outside their camp just when he's signed to come back with Renault which unfortunately doesn't look like winning uh, next year at least maybe when the rules change in 2022 they'll have a hope um Jake what did you make of Nico Hulkenberg's race because he was the absolute star of qualifying although I think that does a slight disservice to Valtteri Bottas because he was brilliant as well to take pole position but Hulkenberg in you know with no testing with no real prep didn't even get a full race drive wouldn't get any race race last time in the British Grand Prix to do what he did and and qualify third was absolutely tremendous um but yeah how did he how did his race uh, shake out 
I think the best he could probably could have hoped for was was fourth or as fifth as then it became when it emerged that Leclerc was in the, the one stop. Hulkenberg was on pace, incredibly good, given that that was his first race in God, what over nine ten months. Um, you look at his race pace. Uh, he was even though Hamilton was having a tough time of it in the middle portion of the race, Hulkenberg was matching him, if not faster. There genuinely looked to be a real threat when Hamilton would eventually pit, that he'd come out maybe just a little bit ahead of Hulkenberg and Hulkenberg would challenge him. Um, Unfortunately, that never came to pass. Um, And towards the end of the race, Hulkenberg had quite a sort of heavy blister on his rear tyres and he had to come in for basically an emergency pit stop, which took it up to a a three-stop that kind of ended his chances of getting a probably the result that he deserved to after such a strong weekend. Um, but he comprehensively outclassed Lance Stroll this weekend. Um, I think it's probably a bit embarrassing for Stroll, um, to be honest with you. But Hulkenberg has shown, he's put himself in the shot window, I think. He has shown that he deserves to be in Formula 1. Uh, if that was, I know you've spoken about the unlikeliness of it, but if that was to be a Red Bull, I think he'd be the perfect plug-and-play number two. Max Verstappen's rear tail gunner, and maybe he wouldn't, you know, he, he, he wouldn't enjoy being seen as such. But the guy is a phenomenal race driver, um, and it is it's a bit of a shame that he doesn't have a full time F one seat. Um, I hope that this performance will go some way to earning him one with at least a semi decent team. I know that seats are a bit oversubscribed at the moment, but if he can get something good, like even if that is a racing point next year, that would be fantastic absolutely i think they're there they're, they're definitely should be too angry uh stroll strolls there this evening because we know before the race lawrence stroll absolutely furious about what's going on with the protests over the rp20 car but lance stroll jess what did you make of his race i mean the, the qualifying was bad enough with hulkenberg utterly defeating him but he only gets ahead in the race because of the the stop late on for hulkenberg he had a massive heavy vibration and and the team just felt they had no choice but to but to pull him in if I'm honest, I didn't even notice him in the race. Just just had a non a non race. Um and yeah, to be just outperformed by someone as Jake said hasn't been in a Formula One car for nine, ten months. It's just not it's not a good look. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but the uh the tin hat brigade are out in full force. Including a former top gear presenter that Racing Point actually had to correct as well. Can I just give props to Racing Point's social admin? Because I like genuinely, I think sometimes social admins have the absolute worst job in the world. Um, but the sass coming out of that admin is is top notch. Well done, bravo! Um, because you, you know, I mean, Twitter's Twitter's a strange place to be at the best of times, anyway. But the 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 Tin Hat Brigade were suggesting that Racing Point pitted Hulkenberg. Uh, for that that third stop because they didn't want him to finish ahead of Stroll and Daddy Stroll pulled some strings. Um, And they were pretty adamant both on the Twitters um, and in their replies to the comments on that Twitter thread that he had some pretty nasty vibration going on and they needed to bring him in. Um, So, you know, why why not? But obviously it wouldn't be an F1 race without some form of conspiracy theory making its way onto our Twitter, uh, our Twitter threads. So, you know, but uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's, he did Stroll didn't have a good race. Hulkenberg had a better race. It's a shame that they, they finished in the order that they did. 
Absolutely, got no time for any of those sort of conspiracy theories. I think that's uh, I think that's just uh, pretty ridiculous. Although uh, I have to say, I was I was very amused uh, going back to the just ahead of the British Grand Prix where you mentioned the uh, the Racing Point Twitter account. I don't spend a huge amount of time on Twitter, especially at race events, but I did see when uh, other teams were posting pictures of their drivers coming into the paddock. One of the one of the Racing Point replies was, "We get it, you have two drivers," which I thought was quite funny considering it's Sergio Perez and coronavirus uh, was the, was the reason why he wasn't driving. Well, Luke, I think that's that's a good place to to ask uh, to ask my last question. What is the latest? On on the Racing Point driver lineup because obviously it's only uh, you know a week away, five days away. The Spanish Grand Prix will be getting underway. Practice sessions on Friday, and whether Nico Hulkenberg will be in the car for for the next race. So I asked this to Omar Safnau, the Racing Point team principal, yesterday, and he said that he is ninety nine percent certain that Sergio Perez will be in the car for the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, obviously, we know Perez needs to deliver a negative test for COVID nineteen uh, before he's allowed to obviously be back in the paddock or be allowed to be allowed to race. Um, he said that basically from the most recent tests they've done, the most recent test being yesterday, the level of COVID-19 in Perez's system is coming down and it should be gone negative by the time that we get to uh, get to the Spanish Grand Prix weekend. But Nico Hulkenberg said that he expects to travel to Spain, basically be on standby uh, for the team. Uh, the team has said that it would be Hulkenberg who would step in again if required. Uh, so what I think is likely is probably that they'll just keep testing Perez. He's obviously served his quarantine now, so doesn't need to self-isolate anymore. Um, and yeah, just basically wait until he's got a negative result and then probably make a decision on, you'd imagine, sort of Thursday evening, Friday morning again, similar to the last couple of weeks, um, as to who will be in. But uh, all the noise has come out of racing point very likely that Perez will be back in the car um and uh but must be said they've been very complimentary about Nico Hulkenberg they've all said like it's been a, a pleasure working with him again obviously was there when it was Force India and uh yeah they've said they've really hoped that although it's not a situation they wanted to be in that by giving him the opportunity to show what he can do has as Jake said sort of put himself back in the shot window and uh, hopefully vie for a seat on the 2021 grid well yes we'll bring the bring the podcast to a close here thanks Jess Jake and Luke and thanks to everybody at home listening now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Now that... Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.